Have you ever sat on a long commute or a dull day in the office and let your mind wander back to the days of rectangle pizza, bowls and bowls of sugar cereal, and gushing over your favorite cartoons and movies in school, and worry that those favorites from childhood won't hold up today? Well, the Saturday Morning Confidential Podcast answers those questions for you. Host Maddie Limerick sits down with artists and creators of today to pull back the veil of nostalgia to talk about what's great and what we would change in hindsight years later. So pull on your comfiest PJs, pour yourself a bowl of your favorite cereal, and take a deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Releasing bi-weekly on Saturdays, available on your favorite podcast platforms and at certainpov.com. Actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. Welcome back, friends, to Exit Stage Death. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Emily Martinez. And I'm your other co-host, Maddie Limerick. And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. Hello, Maddie. How Hi, are we this week? I'm good, darling. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am very pumped for this episode because mm-hmm. it is a bit of a resurgence of a topic that I talked about in one of my first um, attempts at uh, true crime documentation on my channel, um, all about the sightings and the history of this incredible icon that I consider uh, mm-hmm. of Olive Thomas. I'm so excited to talk about her today and to just like explore different like paranormal because mm-hmm. I feel like this show is literally just becoming a ghost podcast and I'm not mad about it. I'm fine um, with that. That's like, totally fine. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, and I, I just think that I also realized I was like, wow, like, I do a lot of things that are stuck in the past. (laughs) Like like so many of my stories are like uh, from the 1920s, the Gilded Age or any of the times in between. Um, But you know what? Like those were some like, I mean, I I think there's something about, I guess it's like a romantic feeling too of being like, wow, like this time that seemed so romanticized in books and in literature Mm -hmm. and in pictures and, and like, yeah, I'm sure it was, really shitty for most people but like there are things that we tend to remember and be like oh that was wild like no wonder her ghost comes back Mm -hmm. because it's like it's you don't hear about like ghosts who are in like cargo pants you know what i mean like or like bringing back the the y2k look you hear about them in like stuff that we're going to talk about today so it's just it's just really interesting which is funny because i always feel like it's way more than likely to have a technician who always worked in a theater be the ghost of the theater than an actor that always worked in the theater no but you know you fucking know why you fucking know why because us actors are like please please give me a job Please let me be in your theater. That will literally haunt it. I'll fucking haunt it. Let me just haunt it. And me- and meanwhile, the 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 lighting tech is just sitting up in the booth, messing with the uh, the frames and the gel storage. They're just like, ha, 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 no more amber for you for this show, and all the amber yeah. goes missing. <laughs> and they're like, get me get me to retirement. Give me my four hundred one k. It's true. Your four hundred one k. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do. I like- friends we also just recorded another episode right before this and we just went on so many beautiful tangents so i think we're all like 
yeah. we're riling right now we, and I'm for it. I think it's going to be great. But Em, what are we talking about today? Well, today, today we are talking all about one of the most iconic Ziegfeld Folly girls and how she has just decided to keep her legacy going and going and going. And that Ziegfeld Folly girl is Olive Thomas. So first, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the place where the eventual spirit of Olive Thomas um, resides. All right, so we are starting at the New Amsterdam Theater. The New Amsterdam Theater is one of the most iconic houses in Broadway history. If you look up pictures, if you haven't been in the New Amsterdam Theater, um, I don't think I've actually been inside. I don't think I've seen a show there. I've I've walked by it many a time from Port Authority, but um, it's the inside is from the pictures I've seen is just gorgeous, just full of decadence and greens and golds and just luscious lusciousness that I can only imagine when it was first constructed what people must have felt when they entered into this space. Um, and it's truly an iconic Broadway theater. It opened in late October, October 23rd, 1903. And it had just over 1,700 seats. I think it was like uh, 1,703 seats. And and fun fact about this theater. Um, so when I first started researching this like a long time ago for my YouTube video about this, um, I was researching the ghost light and I was researching like different theaters and different ghost lights. And I found out that the, the new Amsterdam, and I could be wrong because, but I think I'm right. I think the research I did was right. Um, is that the new Amsterdam theater, if you know about ghost lights, and I think we all do at this point, um, is that when, you know, not only is, is the ghost light meant to be a source of caution and a source of light for making sure people who at the end of the night, at the end of the week, um, do not go into the pit and do not hurt themselves and um, have a single source of light that, um, you know, is in the center of the stage. But it's it's also like this kind of barrier between the the world and here and the spiritual world. And it's very much a symbol of like, OK, we we um, we the alive humans are done spirits. Now the stage is yours. Um, so mm -hmm. please take this and protect mm -hmm. it while we while we are not with you um, and, and take your place on stage, girl, like light it up. And, um, and I found out that the new Amsterdam, it never truly goes dark. Like most other theaters, mm -hmm. like there's some work lights, I guess. Is it, is the area that's, um, that has all the lighting that's like up. Is that called the catwalk? The catwalk. The yeah. So the, yeah. the grid, yeah. The grid, the grid, like, never fully turns off so it is a more lit theater which is interesting to me and it seems like that's a newer element i don't know if that element was there when they first built it that may have been in the renovations of it but yeah it's interesting that with the history that comes with this theater is that like it is more well lit it's not as dark and ominous so the first shows that would inhabit this space when it first came out was the first one that was ever done in the New Amsterdam was the Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. And then it had many other Shakespeare classics, like I think Henry III was there. Um, a, music, a musical adaptation of Ben-Hur, which I'm like, <laughs> talk about spectacle oh, of a show. Yeah. Like, wow. Um, 
the cherry orchard, of course, got to get some Chekhov. And then it became um, a movie theater at one point because a lot of theaters always became movie theaters. And, um, and then it closed for many, many years because of the Great Depression. Um, it actually went dark for 60 years, which is like, wow, that's a long mm-hmm. fucking time. So, of course, over that 60 years, um, the theater just fell apart on the inside. Um, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be until 1993 that good old Disney theatrical group decided, hey, Disney, uh, decided to take her on and sign a 99-year lease. When I first heard that, I was just like, bitch, mm-hmm. <laughs> 99 years. Mm-hmm. That's insane. But so they signed this 99-year lease uh, to to rent the theater, and it, they fully renovated it. They renovated it from the ground up, and it took about two years to bring back the opulence that it once was. And so the shows that we know to be in it now, which is most recent history, would be Lion King before it moved. Um, Mary Poppins, and of course, Aladdin, which is still there to this day. In its own right, like we were talking how Ben-Hur was very spectacle-esque, I'm sure. Um, Disney has brought some of its biggest spectacles into this space. But I think the coolest shit to ever be in the New Amsterdam is the notorious time of the Ziegfeld Follies, Mm -hmm. which was from 1913 to 1927. So according to Wikipedia, all hail Wikipedia, we love you so much. Um, the Follies were a series of lavish reviews, something between later Broadway shows and the more elaborate high-class vaudeville and variety show. The Ziegfeld Follies were also famous for their display of many beautiful chorus girls, commonly known as the Ziegfeld Girls, who quote-unquote paraded up and down flights of stairs as anything from birds to battleships. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, Maddie, but this is giving me straight up, like, miscongeniality vibes oh, yes. when they, like, come down, like, the mm-hmm. like the Statue of Liberty. Well, like, it's, Yeah, it's also, if you think about in the producers when they're doing Springtime for Hitler, that's exactly mm-hmm. what they're capturing is this. And it's truly the most opulent that theater, I think, has ever, ever been. Because then that's what inspired musical films so much. Mm-hmm. Like all of those gorgeous MGM movies with like the, the hundreds of gorgeous girls on a live fountain and just things. Like it is a true opulence. Absolutely. And, and also was kind of um, a way to bring performers that traditionally wouldn't be able to perform in a theater into spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um. And so the longest run of the Follies occurred in 1924 when it had 401 performances of one particular style of the show. Um, So it really, it was reminding me a lot of like, I guess I just kind of saw images of the Follies. And like you said, like I kind of associated it a lot with like old movie musicals and, and um, that type of movement and that type of synchronicity. But I was like, oh, I guess it is kind of like the Rockettes. Mm -hmm. Like they kind of had seasons of certain reviews of the show Mm -hmm. and they would just be adjusted. It wouldn't always be the same show. And I thought that was like a cool thing that I was like, oh, I keep people coming back. Yeah, because it's never going to be the same. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have beautiful, beautiful girls, gorgeous, gorgeous girls, but like gorgeous, gorgeous girls wear gorgeous headpieces. But it was always slightly different. So some of the stars that would be in the Foley's would be Fanny Bryce, 
come through. Sophie Tucker and the woman of the hour of the episode, Miss Olive Thomas. Okay, so I have a weird question for you then. Yes. Because she's still, not to spoil her stuff on your thing, she's still a little prevalent. We still hear about her quite often. Um, does that make Olive Thomas a Disney princess? Mouth agape. I think so. It's. I mean, it's an age-old question. Every time Disney acquires something, it's like, well, is Dr. Frankenfurter a Disney princess? And I was like, no, he's a queen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was like when Disney acquired Star Wars, there was this beautiful art from Disney they released of all the princesses work welcoming Leia into the fold. So she's not a canon, but you know, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, part of me likes to think of Olive Thomas just hanging out wearing Jasmine's crown when Jasmine's not on stage. Oh, you know, she is uh, by some of the accounts that I'm going to tell later, you Absolute. know, that this bitch is sorry, not to step on toes. Keep going. Keep going. Don't step on my feathers as she would probably say. Probably. So Olive Thomas was born Oliva, not Olivia, Oliva or Oliva Duffy, uh, Oliva Duffy, on October 20th, 1894, in Cher Leroy, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, I'm just going to say, because I bet that's what it is. Um, she had a really difficult childhood, as <laughs> most women did, or most people did during that time. Life was not great back then. Mm-mm. Turn of the century was a very difficult time for everybody, except the robber barons. Um And she had to grow up very, very quickly, of course, as everyone did. But especially because her father died in a steelworker-related accident um, when she was 15 years old. So she's helping take care of the family, helping her mother, working every job um, to just help, you know, sustain them. But then by age 16, uh, you know, she just got married. Because it's like, that's what you did back then. Mm -hmm. Cute, cute. And she got married to the super boring guy named Bernard Thomas. I love that she was just like, you are so boring. I mean, it was <laughs> probably the safest thing for women at times mm-hmm. because if he was interesting, meant he was either probably a player and an alcoholic, or if he was of some substance from your own community, he was probably an alcoholic abuser. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that's like, go with the quiet guy, I guess. Yeah. Well, she didn't go with him for very long because <laughs> she visited her aunt in New York City and she went, Oh, this is better. <laughs> Thomas, Bernard, uh, Bernard BB, I'm, we're done. She literally like ran away to visit her aunt and just never came back. And she was just like, oh, you know, Bernard, like, it's been, it's been real fun. I appreciate you, but like, I'm going to divorce you and I'm going to keep your name. Okay. I'm going to keep your name and we're just going to leave it at that. And I got to tell her, you know, Changing my name now to my married name, it was a big old pain in the ass, so I probably wouldn't change it back either. <laughs> well, and she also might not have legally been able to at the time. Probably, probably not. Yeah, that was probably just like, I mean, I, I think the only way that she probably could have avoided ruin um, was to run away to New York City mm-hmm. because no one would have cared back there, cared in New York if you were divorced. Um, so yet again... In New York City, living her truth, um, she worked job after job after job to survive different like retail jobs, different any type of job, and she was like, "I'm gonna make New York my bitch." And she, honestly, she like she really did. And what's great is that like Olive is a woman after my own heart because they were like, "She's got a voice of an angel, but the mouth of a sailor." Yes. Ah, like, oh, yeah, bitch. Uh, yes, as she should be. I- 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Come on now. Absolutely. Absolutely, dear. Okay, so this is when, like, she gets, starts getting real saucy. Like, she's bringing her, like, sauciness to the life. Um, so in 1914, and honestly for her, like, things, I feel like just moved really, really fast. So in 1914, she entered this contest in New York City that was literally called The Most Beautiful Girl in New York City, which is, like, Jesus Christ. Um, and she won. She just won the contest. And she was just like, I'm going to go into this contest and I'm going to win. So watch out and everybody's like i dare you please i dare you and she did she just straight up won and um all of a sudden everybody wanted her to model for her for them um so she's like doing nudie pics she's doing like classy pictures like girls getting her boobies out she's just like what up like here they are good for her i'm i'm gorgeous okay so she's modeling for everyone particularly this um man named harrison fisher and harrison and Harrison Fisher is important because he's the one that's just like, hey, I'm going to put a good good word in for you for the Follies because I think you'd be great. A lot like our, our episode of Evelyn Nesbitt, Olive become, becomes an it girl very, very quickly. Like people are really obsessed with her. Mm. But she wanted to be more than a model. She loved modeling. She thought it was great. But she's like, I want more. She's like, come on, Ariel. Um, so she decided to walk right up to Florence Ziegfeld. And she literally just went tap, tap, tap on your shoulder. I want a job. And he went, he, he went, I like, he was like, I love your gumption. You've got it. You've got a job. Work, bitch. Bitch. Sheep. I'm taking a sip. Uh, I am sipping a that. A sip out of my shiny cup for her. Like good on her. Tap, tap, re- tap. I want a job. I respect the <laughs> fuck out of that i oh oh i love it where are her pockets Mm -hmm. where are her pockets she has no room for that audacity in those pockets no she has to carry that audacity or she know what she said she said there's the gutter take my audacity i have none left to give (gasps) (laughs) i read that and i went i clutched my damn pearls and i went bitch you better or it's I just, better. I just i just think of nine to five with the the drunk the, the drunk woman who just goes <laughs> yeah. at a girl at a girl at a girl <laughs> <laughs> i love that so so he was just like yeah you have a fucking job and and she may have been an it girl before this but now she became an overnight sensation because they put her in the show and men were like flocking to her so She's not put she's not put in like the main show that's happened that like families went to. She was put in the more risque show because remember, titties were out already. So she's a she's in the midnight frolics, which right? I'm like, take me to the midnight frolics, please. Uh, which happened um on the rooftop of of the New Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. So they basically built like I want to say it was like a gardeny type mm-hmm. of probably like immersive theater. It was what's a bit, it was like a strip probably like a that fancy strip area clearly clearly and it was primarily a show for the famous male patrons who had plenty of money to bestow on the beautiful young female performers according to um, wikipedia like i said it's giving me such evelyn nesbitt vibes like all of mm-hmm. this is just like so much in that realm and i'm like i'm so curious if they cross paths at any point uh before 
you know, the demise uh, that we will soon learn. But, um, but yeah, I, well, this is a little bit, this is before Evelyn knows, but, but still it's got that same type of feel. Mm -hmm. So one of Zigfield's, um, so she became one of Zigfield's favorite girls. Of course, she's making them so much money. Um, and she also starts fooling around with Zigfield Mm -hmm. so much so that she's like, Oh, he loves me. Like he loves me. I know he loves me. And it's sad because it's like, her father figure died when she was very young. She got mm-hmm. married very young. She was forced to grow up quickly. And so, like, of course, any male giving you attention during that time, especially one that has so much power, I'm. it's easy to think that that's love. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, Zigfield has a slew of girls that are probably throwing themselves at his feet. Meanwhile, he's married to, <laughs> to Billy Burke. I don't know if you know who Billy Burke is, but she's the... OG Galinda from mm-hmm. the Wizard of Oz movies. So she, he's with this like icon who literally Billy Burke is just like cute, cute sweetie. He's not leaving you for he's not leaving me for you. And even he was just like I am. I think you're great. I love your gumption. I love your audacity. But I'm not gonna leave my wife for you. It's mm-hmm. just not gonna happen. And so she was just heartbroken she was heartbroken over that and honestly like she was only with the follies for like maybe year and a half two years because by night july of 1916 she's like bye follies you broke my heart i left it all on the dance floor i'm going to hollywood so she decides to like <laughs> maddie just like <laughs> like shook their head just like what well, that was fast she's just like i'm i'm going out west you broke my heart. I'm going to be in movies. And again, the audacity. She just picks up and decides to go go out west. And she became an it girl over there. She started – she did I, – I was looking it up. It honestly looks like maybe um, – I mean, she's, she's in a lot of movies. Like she mm-hmm. basically – as soon as she started over there, she was in 1916 – she was doing, like in 1917, she did like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies. 1918, she did like four. 1919, like she did, she was like doing so many films so quickly. Good for her. Yeah, she was just like booking them. I mean, back then, obviously, they were making films very quickly, mm-hmm. but like she was a star. She was like, became a huge silent movie star practically overnight over there. And and she is what we see. She's what our minds see when we imagine what a girl in a flapper dress looked like Mm -hmm. back then she just had that exact shape um i feel like honestly that's like what costumes like that you would buy in like Mm -hmm. a halloween store now are like based off of are are Mm -hmm. her look um which i'm sure is appropriated from a beautiful black woman in some capacity of course um but that is um like i'm like she's not josephine baker but you know i'm sure it was taken I wrote this down. I was like, oh, yeah, Emily was being sassy. I said, the costumes that you dress up in in your hoe phase is based on this hoe. (laughs) (laughs) Emily with the jokes. (laughs) So her stardom um, obviously is bringing up the affections of of many men. One in particular that caught her eye and caught her attention was Jack Pickard, who was the brother of a silent movie star, Mary Pickard. Pickford? Pickard, okay, I have two different names. Something like that. They fell in love, not Mary and Jack, but Olive and Jack. They fall in love, but um, she knew that he was famous, you know, um, 
nepotism, like kind of famous by famous, famous siblings, um, famous family. And she was just like, I love you. I think you're great, but I don't want to take your name because I've worked my ass off for this name for Olive Thomas. And I don't want to take on your name because I don't want people to think that I only married you because of your money. I only Mm -hmm. married you because of your family's fame. I love you, but I'm keeping my name, which I think was like a huge, like what a, what an independent move back then. Mm -hmm. Like what, uh, like that takes a lot of vagina to just do that. Like just being like, like, "Mm, I love it. And I don't think Jack really had any like qualms about it. Like he was just like, whatever, that's cool. Um, and they had this wild, wild love affair. But it was also kept secret. Like they were just like, we have to keep this hush hush because I don't want this getting out to the press because I just don't want people thinking I'm with you for the wrong reason. But it's like one of those things where everybody knew. They were like, we see you guys fucking and and getting wild at parties. We all know that you're together. But they're like, shh, no, 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 it's secret. No, 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 it's totally secret. It was said that, um, it was written that they were two innocent looking children they were the gayest, wildest brats who ever stirred the stardust of Broadway. Same. Same, girl. Uh, both were talented, but they were much more interested in playing the roulette of life than in concentrating in their careers. Like, shouldn't we all be more interested in the roulette of life mm-hmm. than in our careers? Mm, 1,000%. I'm like, I'm like, this really sounds like they were living a quite dangerous lifestyle in a lot of aspects mm-hmm. that we'll get into but like but they were fucking present as hell <laughs> like mm-hmm. they were just like they're like we might die tomorrow so let's live it up tonight mm-hmm. but unfortunately that type of lifestyle and that type of mindset came with a lot of consequences as unfortunately we're gonna talk about now um so they decided to elope because they were just like fuck it we're getting married she <laughs> She moved to L.A. and did those movies and got married, like, in the same year. Like, Mm -hmm. wild. Like, life moved so quickly back then. Um, But they got married in New Jersey, which I love. Elope in New Jersey. Why not? But they're still keeping their love a secret, which is, like, why at that point? I don't understand. But think, like, this whole time in their life was very great Gatsby-esque. It was opulent. There was a lot of parties there was a lot of sex there was a lot of dancing there was a lot of drugs all the things but no precaution but they both still wanted their career so i believe jack was working um i don't know if he was an art i kind of didn't really look him up that much but i don't know if he was really like an actor but he worked in new york and she was in la so they were on two different coasts making this like love affair work which it's like damn Mm-hmm. Long distance is hard now when I have FaceTime and like everything at my disposal. Mm-hmm. Can't even imagine back then. Um, and and you know their their love affair was very tumultuous and it, it was it got really rocky for a while. So by 1920, um, they've been married for about four years. They were like, okay, we need to rekindle our love for each other. We need to come back to each other. Um, be with each other be present with each other because we know that being present is what we're all about and they're like let's go on a second honeymoon to Paris and mm-hmm. let's rekindle our love again they're over there they're loving their lives they're partying they're drinking and and they're just celebrating life as as we as we think mm-hmm. and then on September 5th 
everything changes. September 5th, 1920, after a night of heavy drinking and partying, we always know that that doesn't go down of well in our stories. Um, but I think it was just like, you know, a typical Tuesday for them. Um, they come back to their hotel, which I think was the Ritz. And Jack goes to bed. We think either Jack, in his accounts, he says he goes to bed. In other accounts, people say that he went out, he was like outside the bedroom. I'm going to say he was inside his room because I think it fits with the story that kind of came together. Mm -hmm. Um, So he goes to bed and Olive is about to go to bed. She can't fall asleep yet. And I have this feeling that she was like, I need to cure this hangover that is going to come Mm -hmm. up. So I'm going to go to the bathroom and figure that out. So she goes to the bathroom. He thinks, and what others think that she was trying to do was to take aspirin to like mediate a headache that was about to come on so she opens a little blue bottle of medicine with french writing on it so she doesn't understand it but she thinks she knows what it is she thinks it's aspirin and thinking it's aspirin she ingests it Mm. but all of a sudden she realizes she has made a horrible mistake she screams at the top of her lungs my god and jack awakes from his slumber and sprints into the bathroom because I'm sure her scream Mm -hmm. was much more dire than what I just did. Um, And unfortunately, the bottle that she had ingested was not aspirin, but actually it was mercury bichloride. (gasps) Oh, no. Mercury bichloride is a corrosive supplement that was usually in pill form. And it was meant to be crushed up and used as a topical type of um, solution um, and mixed in and put a little bit of liquid in it. And it was supposed to be used as a paste to put on sores and (laughs) oysters, to put on sores and ulcers that were to help treat syphilis. (laughs) And we learned that Jack had chronic syphilis. Mm. We don't know where he had syphilis from. But we know the lifestyle that they were living. There were no condoms like that back then. Like, there were rumors that they did, like, they had, like, orgies all the time. So, I mean, checks out. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I feel like everybody has syphilis back then. It's true. It's (laughs) true. Everybody's got syphilis now, too. You just get the shot in your butt. It's just everywhere. So, it's usually used as a topical medicine. But it's a poisonous medicine. And we learn that it was already liquefied, which according to the doctors at the time said, if it's swallowed by chloride of mercury in an alcoholic solution is 10 times worse than a tablet. So almost immediately, Olive realizes her mistake and she cannot change the course of her fate. She's realized that she's poisoned herself and that from here on out, it will be a slow and painful death burning and began corroding her throat and it made her blind i'm hoping that i don't even know what i'm hoping i can only assume that that type of stuff happened very instantaneously (laughs) and when jack understands what's happened he's trying to help induce vomiting to get it out of her stomach or get it out of like her system so he's like flushing her with water he's trying to get her to ingest raw eggs doctors came and um You know, once the doctors got there, they pumped her stomach something like four times, three or four times just to try to get the poison out. But it was just, it was too late. It was in her system. There was no turning back. So there were a lot of thoughts that was she attempting to 
kill herself? Like, was she attempting to, uh, to end her own life because there were allegations of infidelity? Remember, they had a very tumultuous mm-hmm. relationship. They were going on this second honeymoon to rekindle their love. Um, or was there a possible upset? Maybe did Olive herself contract syphilis and, and she was very upset about it? Or was this just, was it a murder attempt? Or was this just simply an accident? Because there was alcohol in their system. There was a misreading of a bottle that was in a different language. And it was just a horrible, horrible accident. Well, after five days of, of a torturous time in the hospital on September 10th, 1920, at age 25, Olive dies of her her situation, her medical condition Mm. and she is buried at the woodlawn cemetery in the pickford tomb in new york city and her death is ruled as an accident like so much life happened within Mm -hmm. those years that it's like well thank god she kind of lived it up because Mm -hmm. she she died so young but that is not the end of our story as we said in the beginning this will not be the last of olive thomas Tell us the stories, Em. Tell us the stories. Well, her soul and her spirit very much lives on in her beloved Ziegfeld Follies at the New Amsterdam Theater. So there are many, many sightings of Miss Olive Thomas. As we've said on many episodes, whether you believe in ghosts or not, it's hard to ignore the energy of a theater. It's hard Mm -hmm. to deny that energy lives on especially in theaters that have so much history. It's like, how can there not be something Mm -hmm. lingering around, especially since there's so much life, so much drama. Um, Dreams are made and used and wasted in these fucking Mm -hmm. theaters. And how I I, I am just a person that I'm truly like, how can there not be something? Mm -hmm. So when we believe that she is seen, She's usually seen in it. And I think that there's a photo of this, or at least in my mind, in my mind's eye, I'm like, this is what I think of when people see her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will put this on our social media because it's just, there's so many fabulous pictures of her. Um, she's such a fucking icon. Um, she's usually seen in a green beaded gown, a headdress, and she's usually carrying a blue bottle of medicine. Mm. Now, here, here's a couple of stories that I found online. I, Maddie, I tried desperately in the past couple days to contact people that I'm Instagram friends with Mm -hmm. or real life friends with, like that have worked at the new Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. I contacted, like I was like contacting Courtney Reed, who was Jasmine. I was just like, bish, bish, do you have anything? She's like, I don't believe in ghosts. I went, how dare you? I I contacted dressers. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I know you work the show. Did you ever experience something? They were like, no, I wish I did. I was always hoping I would fucking experience something, but I never did. But um, my friend who told me, she was just like, um, or my internet friend, I'm not sure if she heard this, she'd be like, I'm not your friend, but you're my internet friend. Um, She was like, nothing happened to me personally, but she's like, I heard a lot of stories and a lot of things would happen to stagehands. Like those were the people Mm -hmm. that things would happen to most of the time. And I was like, I was like, that totally tracks from other things that I've heard. Mm -hmm. So here's one story that is probably one of my favorites. So it's 2 a.m. All right. The director of the theater didn't get his name. It's really not important. Um, He gets a call from a security guard that um, something is up. Something is wrong. He sounds very um, nervous and scared. 
but can't like can't formulate sentences enough but all he knows is i have to get to the theater right away so he's going down to the i'm sure he's thinking that the theater has burned down Mm -hmm. like 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 every cataclysmic thing is going through this uh theater director's mind on this he's just like preparing for the worst and then he gets to the theater theater's still standing so i mean immediately like it's not burned down um but he sees the the security guard outside and the security guard is pacing He's going back and forth. He is going through it. And he's like, tell me what happened. What's wrong? Are you okay? What's going on? Please fill me in. And so the security guard starts telling the story. And he's like, look, I was making my rounds, mm-hmm. as I always do, um, with only the ghost light. And I'm sure those other um, existing lights that I mentioned earlier are also on. And, um, you know, he's doing his rounds, making sure nobody's in the theater so that he can close up shop. And he just feels like something is watching him. And you know that feeling mm-hmm. when something is watching you. You're mm-hmm. like, like, I don't know what to do. All the hairs on, my, on the back of my neck and my back mm-hmm. are up. Like, mm-hmm. my hackles are up. And so he turns around and he sees in the light, in the shadow of the ghost light, is a figure of a woman. He sees the full figure of this woman in a green beaded gown a headdress and she's carrying a blue bottle of medicine. Mm. He's trying to say, Hey lady, you can't be here. Like this is, I don't know why you're here. It's after hours. Why are you in a fucking costume? Like what the fuck? And he's trying to ID her, trying to get who she is. And she won't say anything. She's just continues to like move past him, like maintaining eye contact. Just like, imagine just like, someone just like slowly moving past you maintaining eye contact being creepy as hell and um and he's just like what is happening and she's maintaining contact eye contact she she blows him a kiss and then she walks through the wall that leads to the stage door to the street um two words two words two words absolutely not absolutely not fuck no like, like iconic, but terrifying. Like shit in your pants, terrifying. <laughs> like the story is amazing, but if that happened to me, I'd be dead. Yeah, I'd be oh, like, okay. I guess, uh, I guess my ghost is joining you because I'm mm-hmm, now dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few weeks later, that security guard, I, I feel like they were like, "Hey, dude, take a couple weeks off. Like, yep. hey, we are the Disney organization. Take a trip to Disney World. Like, I like to think that that's what they did. Probably. Not. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're not paying for that. No, absolutely not. So, um, so he comes back after a couple of weeks, and the director is like, "I have an idea. I've collected a bunch of pictures. Like, look through these pictures of like old people, old people, like old photos of people that used to really spend a lot of time here. Um, do any of these images like resonate with you?" And he saw this picture of Olive in this mink coat and I have, I think I know the picture. So again, I will link it. Um, And immediately, and she's like holding her chest, very coy, the audacity, just like, hi. Um, Hi. And immediately he goes, that's her. And so now that he knows who it is, he immediately is like, and here are my two weeks. I quit. I don't want to work at this theater anymore. Power to you, man. Just keep your heart safe so another story is um of this crew member 
who is working on um he's he's working below the stage and i it, it makes sense to me that he's working on like a, a trap door mm-hmm. or like an entrance from below the stage you know he's like tinkering away tinkering away and then he looks up and he just like sees these legs <laughs> like he's like oh hi legs legs why are these random legs here he sees these legs they're in stockings and and like costumed in a way and they're just like coyly walking up the steps and not only are these legs but they're transparent legs <laughs> that are just like walking up onto the stage again me formulating a story in my mind i like to think olive was like i'm practicing my entrance for act two with my headdress you should see my butt i look amazing <laughs> um and then all of a sudden they disappear I, I just i i love it she's just fucking with these guys it makes me so happy another thing that uh people think olive does is she gets really really pissed when other people start talking about the follies um around her mm-hmm. like on tours when they would do this pre-covid i don't i'm sure they're not doing them right now but a lot of times they'll do backstage tours. You'll see like different props and stuff like that. And in this place, they were probably talking about, oh, and this is where the Zygmunt Follies were. Am I, is it Follies or Follies? Am follies, I saying fo- it's Follies? Follies. Okay. Good. Because I'm like, I can only imagine people tearing me to shreds right now. Um, so, you know, they're giving facts. And I'm sure it's like probably an actor who's like knows all the information and giving the tour. And apparently, if there was something that was possibly amiss, maybe a little misconstrued, maybe a little um, made bigger than it actually was, Olive would get very, very pissed, especially if they weren't talking about her, and she would just make props and shit fly off the walls. And it's like, (laughs) bitch, I can't. I love it. Um, during the run of Lion King, which I think was like the really big mm-hmm. first big thing that was there, mm-hmm. like they showed, I, like they had like other things, like they did concerts there every once in a while. They did, um, I think they showed, her, they did like the premiere of Hercules, um, mm-hmm. the movie there. Mm-hmm. So, but Lion King was probably the big first big theatrical thing that was done at this um, theater under Disney. And on their off nights on Mondays when it was dark, they would hold other types of events. And sometimes they would bring people in to dress up as the Follies. And I don't think it was like any of the original people or maybe descendants of, I don't know. But there were there were women dressed as Follies and, and in their attire. And Olive would be, again, pissed. She's like, why didn't, I'm literally right here. Why didn't you hire me? <laughs> like, bitch, after all my own heart, I'd be like, I am right here. I am, mm-hmm. I'm literally OG. Like, mm-hmm. get, uh, all I need is the music. Like, I can't. Apparently, every time that they would have an event like this where there would be Follies, like, dancers, like, event dancers, um, the next day at the next show, something would always happen with the tracks. Something mechanically would always be mm-hmm. fucked up. And, um, and like, the moving platforms wouldn't work properly. And they probably had show stops. And, <laughs> again, I like to think that... That would be when Olive would be like, okay, now this is when I make my entrance onto Pride Rock, just mm-hmm. like I used to go down the stairwell with my battleship head headdress. I'm coming down. I'm looking fabulous. I'm looking hot. 
I also like to think of her as Broadway's moaning Myrtle, just like always there, just like. <laughs> no one likes me anymore. <laughs> just like, just watching the boys change. Like, I fucking love this bitch. Another great story um, was during the run of Mary Poppins. She decided not only to mess with um, people, you know, stagehands, mm-hmm. crew members who are, you know, just trying to get through their workday, but she decided to also just participate in the audience as well. So there's one day this woman comes up to an usher that's that's working, making his pay, and he, she goes, oh my God, I am so pleased with my experience as an audience member. And he's like, oh, that's so great. Like, please tell me more. Like, what what is it about it that's like making you like love your life today? And she's just like, I'm so pleased and excited that cast members are helping us to our seats as well. And he goes, I, I'm sorry? And she's like, yes, like the woman in the costume that helped me to my seat. I thought that was such a nice touch. And he goes, "What? what's her costume like? What does she look like? And she, she was like, well, she was in this beautiful green beaded gown and this headdress. And her walking me to my seat made my experience like so fabulous. And this usher's like, like I'm dying I'm dying I'm dying on the inside so as a way to appease Olive because we know that her presence is effervescent mm-hmm. there is apparently a photo of her at every entrance and exit and everyone who works there uh, and goes in and out is meant to say hello and goodbye to her and blow her a kiss um, to keep Olive happy. A lot like the Blasco ghost, how it's like mm-hmm. you keep that empty, mm-hmm. you say goodnight to him mm-hmm. at the end of the night. Like, I don't know if she'll fuck shit up, but it's like, let's keep Olive on our side. Like, she's yeah. watching over shall us. Shall we, shall we, yeah. So um, I just want to finish this by saying she's a queen, she's an icon, and Olive is the moment. And, um, and that is Olive Thomas. And also, I found out today... Um, that there's a musical called Ghost Light that was created, or at least in development, in 2011. Um, that is literally, it's so ironic because when I first researched all of it, it was all about relating it to the Ghost Light and that the show is called Ghost Light and it's all about Olive Thomas. And I'm just like, synchronicity. So I found this on Wikipedia and it's a little synopsis of what Ghost Light is about. Ghost Light, a musical about the life of Olive, of Olive Thomas, written by Matthew Martin and Tim Rilbudo. Ghost Light opened in New York City at the Signature Theater in September 26, 2011, and was presented by the New York Theater Festival. It starred drama desk winner Rachel York as Billy Burke, oh. Tony nominee Michael Hayden as Florence Ziegfeld Jr., Tony Award winner Daisy Egan as Molly Cook, who now hosts the amazing podcast Strange and Unexplained. Mm -hmm. Daisy, please come on our show at some point if you're ever listening to this. We would love you. I love your podcast so much. It gives me so much joy. Um, Kimberly Faye Greenberg as Fanny Bryce. Matt Leslie as Jack Pickford. Ah, it's Pickford, not Pickard. And newcomer Rachel Vogel in the leading role of Olive Thomas. That is the life, death, and afterlife fuck of Miss Icon... Iconique, Olive Thomas. 
can't keep a good bitch down. No, Ooh. you cannot. Also, I respect her haunting the fuck out of the place. That's just, that is such a flex. She is a full on go bigger, go home mm-hmm. in every aspect of her life. Like she mm-hmm. was like, she went hard. So she, she had to go home. Good on it. Good yeah. on her. And you did such a good job with that. Thank you. So many of my sources came from Wikipedia today. Um, an article on medium.com, the haunting death of Olive Thomas, many articles uh, about different ghosts in on Playbill, the history of the ghost light on stage blog, of course, because they're wonderful, uh, ghosts and murder blog and glamour, an article called glamour and murder at Ziegfeld's new Amsterdam theater. <laughs> so, and also uh, my video on YouTube, I used as reference as well. We love, listen, if you've already done the research, go back already, to it. I was just like, I was like, oh, I lost all my notes. So I'm just going to go back to my video. <laughs> you might as well. You absolutely might as well. So yeah. So thank you, Maddie, for joining me on this journey. Is there anything that we should tell our viewers? Today? Oh, as always, like, subscribe, rate, review. Those ratings and reviews are so important, especially in a genre as big as true crime. Mm-hmm. Em and I are so enjoying making this show for you, and we just want to expand the base. Share us on all social media, and do not forget to reach out to us on social media and our email, which is stagedefpod cast at gmail.com to share your own theater ghost stories whether it is on Broadway a national tour or at your community theater or school we want to hear them all and we will read them back to you on a bonus episode eventually hi I'm Matt aka Stormageddon and I'm the host of CPOV autographs at certainpov.com it is a bi-weekly interview series where I interview folks from all over the arts from writers to comedians to magicians to musicians even actors, historians, podcasters, pretty much anyone who's willing to chat with me for a little bit. If you like interesting conversations with even more interesting people, go to certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, music is life and life is good. Don't worry, listeners. No need to adjust your dial. This is Landline Radio. Welcome to the end of the dial at the end of the world. I'm the host, and we bring you stories too chilling and strange to be true, right from the heart of towns where the lines between this world and the next connect. Stories from people just like you. For those long, dark, lonely nights driving down roads that never seem to end. We'll be here. And don't worry if you can't find us. We'll find you. Leyline Radio is from Dreamer Productions and can be found monthly exclusively starting in October on their Patreon feed. Follow the link in the show notes below to hear and enjoy. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. 
You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.